Chapter 6 of The Whispering Eye by G.T. Fleming Roberts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lady in White. Halfway toward the thicket, Kipperland saw that the light had gone out. But he had marked the spot from which it had originated, and in another moment he had broken through the tangled branches of the shrubs to the place from which the light ray had come. He saw no one. He stopped, listening. On his left he heard the crackling of twigs. He moved quickly in that direction, saw now a wraith-like figure in white. "'Hello there.' It was the soft voice of a woman who called. Kipperland took a few more cautious steps in the direction of the figure in white. Now that his eyes were more used to the gloom, he could see that the woman was not alone. There was a man standing beside her. "'Hello,' Kip responded calmly. He took a box of matches from his pocket, struck one, and held it high. The woman wore a white evening gown. Her beautifully molded face was nearly as white as her dress. Her hair was black as India ink, drawn back from her rounded forehead to a knot softly at the back of her head. Her eyes were cool green with an exotic lift at the outer extremities of the lids. The man beside her was evidently her chauffeur, judging from his uniform. He was a dark, somber-looking man with a particularly ugly scar on his chin. The woman smiled, a smile that did not quite reach her green eyes. "'Are you the man with the flashlight who was out here a moment ago?' she asked. Kip's eyes narrowed. He wondered if the woman was beating him to the draw. He might have asked her, and with better reason, if it was she who had turned that beam of light on the Weedham house. The match burned out in Kip's fingers. He tossed the stub of it aside. "'Obviously I'm not the man with the flashlight,' he said evenly. "'Or I would not have had to light a match just now.' "'How silly of me,' the woman with the green eyes laughed. "'Of course you're not. But I'm so anxious to find my little locket. I'm Vida Gervais.' And I live just over the wall in the next house. I think I lost my little locket while walking here this afternoon. I hope that you were the man with the flashlight and could help me find it. Don't you find that gown something of a liability hunting in this jungle? Kip asked. Her explanation was entirely too glib to suit him. But before she could form an answer, the whip-crack of a shot rang out from the direction of the Weedham house. The woman who had introduced herself as Vida Gervais uttered a short, sharp cry. Then she and her chauffeur turned and fled. Kipperland thrashed his way through the bushes to the border of the thicket. In the dim night glow, he saw a man running toward the house and a second figure that lay huddled on the lawn in front of the terrace steps. Berland could not be absolutely certain, but he thought that the running man was Jack Carlson. There were hoarse shouts from the immediate vicinity of the house, and Kip recognized the bellow of Joe Strong and the harsh, rasping voice of Sergeant McGinty. Kip broke away from the shrubbery and ran across the open lawn toward the point where the man lay on the ground. The second figure, which he thought was Jack Carlson, was now kneeling beside the fallen man. In another moment, Kip saw that his first impression had been correct. The second man was Carlson. He looked up at Kip, his face chalk-white in an uncertain light. "'He's dead,' Carlson said. "'He's been shot.' 
Berlin dropped beside Jack Carlson, brought out his matches, struck one. The man on the ground was wearing an ordinary business suit. He was entirely bald, with a large shapeless nose and chubby cheeks. He was lying on one side, his left arm extended. Clutched in the dead fingers of his left hand was a yellow slip of paper. It looked like bank-check paper to Berland. Others were coming from around the side of the house, Jeff Weedham and Barbara Sutton. Behind them came Major Paxton and two other members of the committee. Kipperland shot a glance at Jack Carlson, saw that the latter was looking in the direction of the newcomers. Kip thrust out a hand toward the piece of yellow paper in the fingers of the corpse. It was so rapid a movement that even if Carlson had been watching him, it is doubtful if the auto livery operator could have caught it. Kip jerked the piece of paper from the hand of the dead man and stood up. By the time Barbara and Jeff Weedham had joined them, Berland had rolled the slip of yellow paper in a cylinder and placed it inside the cap of his fountain pen. Kip! Barbara gasped. What happened? Someone seems to have been shot, he replied mildly. I don't know just who. Jeff Weedham had a flashlight. He turned the beam on the face of the dead man. D -d damn he stammered. It's bigger. Poor old bigger. Why, he's d -d dad's private secretary. Attended to everything for d -d dad. William Weedham, Adler, and the rest of the committee men hurried from the corner of the house. Bigger, did you say? William Weedham gasped. Good Lord, where's that Sergeant McGinty? And then Weedham dropped beside the dead man, looked long and searchingly into the immobile face. Sergeant McGinty put in his appearance a moment later, and with him was Joe Strong. He was holding on to Joe by the ear. "'Try your football tackles on me, will you?' McGinty was growling while Joe was trying to break away without losing an ear. "'Oh, Sergeant, how did I know it was you prowling around in all that dark?' Joe complained. It was evident that Joe had made another of his unfortunate mistakes. But McGinty forgot and forgave when he saw the body of Biggert lying there on the lawn. The sergeant bent his thick knees, took Jeff Weedham's flashlight, turned it on the corpse. It was obviously a mistake, Jack Carlson was explaining smoothly. The killer had no designs on Biggert, certainly. Huh? McGinty looked up, his red face contorted by a puzzled frown. What do you mean it was a mistake? This is obviously the eye's work, Carlson explained. I was standing just about in this spot when this man Biggert came running around the house and directly in front of me. That's when the shot was fired. The bullet was intended for me. Would you expect as much after the eye's warning? McGinty nodded his head. Could be. And believe me, Mr. Carlson, you'd better put yourself under police protection. I can take care of myself, thanks, Carlson insisted. As he turned away from McGinty in the body, his eyes met those of Kip Berland. And then Carlson stepped quickly to the outer rim of the circle around the body. Kip Berland knew that Carlson was lying. Carlson hadn't been near Biggert at the time of the shooting. It was Carlson whom Berland had seen running toward the body. D -d -d Dad, Jeff Weedham stammered. Where was Bigger when we were in the library? Oh, how should I know? 
the elder Weedham ran his fingers through his gray hair. I don't know where he was. In his room, I suppose, going over my personal accounts. Possibly, Major Paxton put in. He was disturbed when the lights went out in the house and came down to investigate. He probably heard the rest of us outside the house, searching for that prowler who turned the light through the library window. And possibly, McGinty said, Biggert had discovered something pretty important, too. There's a little scrap of yellow paper in his fingers, just a corner, as though somebody snatched a note or something from his hand. Just a corner, you say, Sergeant? Jack Carlson asked. When he fell in front of me, I noticed that there was quite a sizable slip of paper in his hand. There was, huh? McGinty's eyes rested accusingly upon each face in the circle about the body. All right. Now just tell me who first joined you and the murdered man, Mr. Carlson. Carlson looked at Kip Berland. It was that young man, he said. Berland, huh? McGinty said. I guess I'll have to search your pockets, Berland, if you've no objection. Kip smiled. None whatsoever, Sergeant. McGinty went through Kip's pockets. He ignored the fountain pen, which was clipped in plain sight. He stood back, shook his head. I guess you're clean, Berland, he admitted, and then turned to the others. But I'm finding whatever was in Bigger's hand, understand? Mr. Weedham, you go call headquarters and tell him I want the homicide detail out here. You mean me, d -d don't you? Jeff Weedham asked. McGinty shook his head. I mean your father. You and the rest stay here. I'll have a little more search to do, and a lot more questions to ask. Though McGinty fulfilled his promise in so far as the questions and the searching were concerned, he didn't turn up the piece of paper he was looking for. Neither did he find the weapon or the murderer. It was about eleven o'clock when Jack Carlson asked permission to leave. He had some urgent business to attend to, he explained to the sergeant. McGinty had no grounds for holding Carlson, told him to go ahead. But Carlson did not leave alone. Kip Berland, without asking permission from anybody or even saying good night to Barbara, slipped quietly from the house. He was particularly interested in the urgent business which was pressing Mr. Jack Carlson. End of chapter 6